Today, I'm going to take you on a journey that's a little bit different. And uh, if you uh, have never um, been a part of a church in a, in a membership context where you were officially a member, this sermon would be kind of special for you. If you have been, it's going to be special for you too because you're going to relate to some of the things I'm going to say. The, the topic of the day sermon, repeat it with me please, say, where do you belong? Where do you belong? Now, this is not like designed to be some kind of recruitment for membership, but it is designed to explain the power of belonging. And I, I'm really always surprised when I talk like this because I grew up and I was not a church person at all. I was not a, um, until I was about 15 and a half, I didn't really go to church much like every now and then. And that would be with a friend who um, was a nice neighborhood friend of mine and I would go with him, and, and I didn't understand anything they said. I went a few times, and it was a, how many times did I say I went? A few times. And I didn't really like it. I mean, it was not bad. I just didn't understand it. And I, I went to a church, a Baptist church, uh, coming up, and it was, you know, it was a nice church, good people. But I, I just didn't fully understand it. My mother and I, we prayed. We, had a, we were God-fearing people. Um, but we just weren't church people. And uh, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can't. But I, I know how... Interesting it is that I ended up in this job. It's really fascinating to me. But I think it's affected how I approach it. Because when you don't have a strong church background, you tend to question things with an open mind. You tend not to be as intimidated because you're crossing some sacred ground. You know, I often tell the story that when I was a young kid, I always knew the cross was important. I couldn't show you in the Bible why it was important. But I remember in elementary school, we would be cursing all the way up to a church that had the cross on it. And, and then we say, hey, the cross, be quiet. You know? And then time we got on the other side of the cross, we let off again, you know. But some of you say, you was ungodly. Yes, I was. But I did not, I, I, I didn't know I was ungodly. I did, that was just my, my, you know, some of you parents, you understand. When you curse, you cause your children to learn to curse. You are a cursing instructor. And so when you curse at them, that's when you get mad, they learn to curse at other people. So, you know, I had family members who said big, bad words. And so I heard big, bad words. And, and so I learned. Uh, from some of the best. Uh, if you kind of know what I'm saying, say amen. amen. And, you know, so a lot of my experiences, a lot of my exposure as a kid uh, did not give me a clear understanding of what this thing called church was about. So I, I just really didn't really get it. So I didn't think I had to go. My mother used to send me whenever she was frustrated, you know, not frustrated, whenever she felt spiritual. Um, it's the truth. I mean, I don't know. What, it should, Rick, you go to you going to church? Yeah, I'm okay. My mom going to church, but I used to I used to fake church. I used to go to a friend of mine's house down the street named Kenny. He went to church. We we basically our Sunday school was like at 9:45. His was like 10:30. So I would go to Kenny's house and walk slow, and pretend I was gonna hang around with him, and then I would go on to my church late. When, when would I go? Late, late for Sunday school, and then I would sit there and I never understood what they were saying. I I, I didn't understand the purpose of it really. I, I mean, I didn't hate it. I just didn't understand it. So we would sit there, and this lady would teach, a much older lady. And uh, I think our teacher was the pastor's wife. And she would sit there. And I still remember her name, but I won't say it. But I remember her name. And she was sitting there, and she, she'd be teaching. And then at the end, I used to hate this part. They'd have to ask you to review the lesson. Okay, now you've been talking for an hour. Now you want me to say back what you just said. And, so she, and then they wouldn't ask you, like, in private. They'd pick you stand in front of the church. And, and review the lesson. Anybody remember this stuff, right? And you stand there, and they say, what did you learn? The 
first of all, I'm scared to death. I'm the tallest up here. I look like Big Bird next to all these people. And, and now you want me to repeat what I learned. So I have one standard answer. And, only the, and I only went a few times. And I said like six times. I mean, like I tell you a few. I don't mean like a lot. But this, they were so ingrained in my spirit. She said, what did you learn? I said, about Jesus. That was my standard answer. <laughs> it's about Jesus. That's all I know. And I hope that helps you. Because, you know, then I stayed over, I remember a time, I remember one time I stayed over for church, and I don't know what my, whether my mother was there, I don't remember, I don't remember, I stayed over for church, and it was like amazing, the guy was talking about foxes, and the woods, and the country, and I thought, there's no foxes in Los Angeles, and I don't see any woods, <coughs> excuse me, any woods, so I just, I didn't get church, and I remember I got baptized, and I didn't understand why I got baptized, I know they told me it was a time to get baptized, and all I remember was the deacons trying to drown me, that's all I remember, and I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I remember going down blah, 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 and coming back up. I can see it today in my head. It, that was my baptism. So there were a lot of things about church that were not explained. I remember, I remember you know, why do, for, let me give you some examples. I'm getting off a little bit, but it'd be fun. Why do people shout? shout? I, I couldn't figure that out. This, <laughs> just all of a sudden, I said, ooh, man, what was that? And they said, that's the spirit. Oh, okay. There you go. Oh, it stopped. Up there, come again. <laughs> I didn't, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm honest to God. I mean, if you asked me to explain it to you, I couldn't explain why you'd be jerking. I didn't, I didn't understand any of that. That's God. I said, okay, he's slapping you or what's happening? I didn't know what that was. Now, again, not trying to be funny. I'm being honest. When I first went to a church and I saw people dancing, uh, the first time I saw it, I was a little kid. My grandmother used to go to Holiness Church, and I, and I, I never went with her either. But I remember, I, I might have went once, the, the, the very little church experience. And I remember um, they were slobbering, they were spitting. And, and, and I said, wow, what are they doing, Grandma? I remember asking that question. I remember where I was standing. And I, remember, I remember the church. It's a church I went and spoke at later on in life. It's amazing, isn't it? And I remember they, they were standing there, they were drooling. And, um, and I said, what are they doing? Why are they spitting? Because, you know, I was taught as a kid, you don't spit, right? And, and they would call Jesus, 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 just stuff, you know, okay. So, and she said, well, they're purging. I said, purging, purging? She said, they're sins. Ricky, they have a lot of sins. They got a lot of them, that's for sure. And I just, nothing was explained. Everything was sort of like, uh, figure it out. I would tell you, you know, some spiritual word, and, you know, it's faith, it's miracles, and no one explained it. And so a lot of times I came to church with a very um, confused kind of um, approach. I, I didn't understand, for example, why the music was so sad. You're always holding on, just making it. And I'm trying to figure out, don't you know, God, why, why are you so sad? Michael Jackson's dancing. I thought I liked that. I used to get mad when gospel music came on the radio on Sunday morning because I couldn't understand why you listen to this sad music. It was th this me, a guy who didn't go to church. You're sad sounding. You're just sad sounding. And, and, and then I truly didn't understand why we stay so long. <laughs> that just to confuse me too. I thought, you need a sleeping bag in here, man. It's so long. You, and the guy talks so long. And then he jumps all over the Bible everywhere. And so uh, it's just, it just didn't make sense to me. And so I didn't go. My mother didn't make me go. I, was, I mean, I was God-fearing. I prayed every day. It's the truth. I prayed every day. So you can judge people and not know them. Romans chapter 2 talks about a group of people who don't go to church, who don't even know the Bible, but they're God-fearing people. You know, there are people who, who, based on what they know about God, they serve God the best they can. 
And what you, if you're not careful, what you'll do is you will misjudge people. And you'll, make, you'll draw conclusions about people and church that are wrong. You'll assume that everybody that goes to church is really godly and really close to God and growing in God and committed to you, and the people that don't go are all evil and wicked and bad. And, and you don't know those people. You don't know where they are. There are a lot of people right now who are streaming in. There are hundreds, as a matter of fact, who are streaming in right now. Thank you for being here. And so if you're not careful, you'll, you'll, you'll judge them and say, well, they just don't like coming to church. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe they're, I don't know. Well, I'm glad they're here. Maybe I don't need to have an answer for that. How about that? I have no answer for that. I'm glad we can provide the technology. They can be here the best way they can. I encourage them to come. I think coming is important. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think it's important for you to understand a lot of times you misunderstand people. And I think church doesn't understand how church can look to people. There's a question I'm going to ask you, and I'd ask you at the end of the sermon. What does church look like to most people? Maybe it'd be fun to switch the order. Tell me, if you were describing church, your friends, people you know, people you work with, people around you, give me a word that describes church based upon your friends or people you know. What would they say if they were describing it? Church is what? Boring. Raise your hand so I can see you. Commit your life. Yes. Boring. Boring? Really? Okay. Yes. Yes. Church has phones. That's a good thing, right? Church has phones. <laughs> Alarms. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Church is what? <coughs> Judgment. They judge you. Okay. All right. Somebody else. Somebody else. Church is? Yes. Rehearsed? Rehearsed? Yes. Yeah, right here, I'm sorry. It's what now? Too long? Yes, yes. Full of hypocrites. Ooh, that's strong, that's true. That's how people feel, though. Yes, in the back? It's what now? Restrictions. You can't do this, we can't do that, we major in what you can't do. Yes? Expensive. Expensive. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's get the offering boxes out right now. Praise the Lord. Give the day, won't really give the day. That's good. Thank you. Very honest, expensive. Yes, in the way in the back. Therapy. What'd you say? Therapy. Therapy. Yes. Fellowship. Fellowship. <coughs> okay. Got a couple of positives. See, what I want you to notice is, I'm sorry. Yes. Traditional. Yes. Rituals. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, notice. Uh, yes, over here. Awesome. I go. Was it? Uplifting. Uplifting. See, was it, this is the first service out of three where, where somebody said something positive. Generally speaking, if you're really honest, we, are, we, we haven't done a good job of communicating and creating a fair environment. I did this, um, uh, I did this little thing I do with churches, I, when I, and I consult with churches. I'll say, do you know how much time you're asking people to commit to? It takes you about an hour and a half to get the rest to come here. You put it all together, shower, you know, do all the things you do. Some of it's not 30 minutes. But most people, it's at least an hour to get it right, right? Not an hour. And if you got kids, double that. A couple hours, you know, you got to lay everything out, put all the time together. And then driving, put all that time into that. So you may have an hour and a half to two hours just to get in the building and sit in the seat. That's why I don't fuss at you when you're late. I want you to be on time, but I'm glad you made it. How about an Amen. amen. Come on, amen. I'm glad you made it. I'm really glad you made it. I used, I, I used to give out late cards. You know, I did that. I did that. I used to have little late cards, 
and, and it's a, to remind people church starts at whatever time. And, and now, after a while, people start saying, just give me a call, just give me a call. <laughs> and I, you know, I was trying to, in my early ministry days, trying to motivate people to be timely. But what I've learned is there's, there's something really important when you as a person understand the power of church and what God designed and the power of belonging to a place and banding together with a group of people. So what I want to do is show you somebody who did that. And I want you to look with me, please, at it, Ruth chapter 1. It's the book of Ruth. And if you have sermon notes, it's easy to find right there in your top of the notes there. Romans chapter, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. And Ruth was a person who had a strong sense of belonging. And I want you to listen to what she said, and then I want to ask you a question. This is Ruth speaking, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. This is said after she comes to this incredible moment with her mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi, and her, her sister-in-law, whose name is Orpah. Orpah and Naomi and Ruth all were married and their husbands died. And these three women now are about to part ways and they're deciding what they're going to do with the rest of their lives because that season's over. And it's always hard when that season ends. You have to realize the longer you live, the more you see seasons end. You come to understand something doesn't last forever. You don't get to be at home with your parents forever. You don't get to have this job. You don't get to have the car. You know, there's a lot of things that come to an end. And learning how to manage the end is really powerful. There's a wonderful book I call, I love. It's called Necessary Endings. If you are facing an ending in your life, it's a great book to read. Necessary Endings. It's a really good book. And, one, and we had it as a book of the month some years ago. But one of the things I want you to understand is the power of this moment in these three ladies' lives. And so their husbands have died. Naomi is the mother-in-law. And then you have Ruth and Oprah. They're, they're the daughter-in-laws. Oprah decides to go back home to her family. And that's a fair choice. There's nothing wrong with that choice. But then Ruth makes a unique decision. Now, Naomi is pretty clear. You know, I don't want you to follow me because I don't have any more kids for you to marry. These two women were married to her sons. And so, you know, look, my husband died, your husband's died, my son's died. Just, you know, go back to your parents. Go back home. But Ruth says no. Ruth says where you go, I go. Your people shall be my people. Where you die, I will die. I belong with you. And that's the question I want to ask you. Where do you belong? Where do you belong? Is there a place, a cause, or purpose you've signed on to for life? That's the big question in your notes today. Name the cause. Name the purpose. Name the place. Name why you're here. Who are you committed to, like Ruth was to Naomi? Who's committed to you? Now, that's important because if you're really honest and you think about it, I need you to just consider, name the one person that's committed to you, like Ruth was to Naomi. It's an amazing moment. Here's another question. Can you name maybe two or three people that will gather together and help you reach a goal? Just name two or three people. 
Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, lays out a principle that I just love. Here's what it says. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, I need you to look at me for a second. I want to show you some hand signals. You ready? Say, if two... Come on, work with the preacher. Come on. Two or three, right, are gathered together. There am I in the midst. You ready? Say, two or three are gathered together. There am I in the midst. Jesus says, I join you when you unite with other people. There are some things you will never accomplish alone, ever. You'll never build a business alone. You'll never, ever, ever have a, you can't even accomplish academic goals alone. There's some things you're going to need a tutor for. There's some things you're going to need guidance in, in your career development. You need people to help you. There's something powerful about understanding the power of two or three joining together. Apple, computers, name it. Name the company. Name the company. Bill Gates, name the company. There's no way that you're ever going to be successful if your goal is to do it all by yourself. There's no such thing. Ricky Temple does not run this by himself. And I shouldn't. There are a lot of things I don't need to know. I need, to be, I need to be the leader, put things in place, but I need a team that's smart, and I do. I have a very smart team that helps me every week get to this place. Their job all week is to help me get to this place, the notes, the outline. We talk through all the sermons. All of that is a team helping. We talk through every sermon, every word. It's amazing. Not every word and every detail, but we talk about the, the, the discussion we're in. It's, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's valuable, to, to be clear, and that's only possible because two or three. Now, God, originally when he planned church, had that in mind. And his original plan was to design, design a place that functioned a certain way. And there were three things he had in mind. Number one, you ready? It was designed to be a strong and safe place. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. It was designed to be a strong and safe place. Number two, it was designed to be a teaching, training, gathering place. Can you say teaching, teaching training, training, gathering place? That's what it's designed to be. You'll see what I mean by that in a minute. And thirdly, it was designed to be a going place, not just a worship place. It was not designed to ever be just a worship place where we came together and sang and all that. No, this is a going place. You come in here and I gas you up and you go. It's all about getting you ready to go. It's not about you just being here. I love to use the analogy, it, it's not to build, your goal is not to build an army that marches around the barracks all day. You, you don't go to the field and work out just so you can go to the field and hang out. Your, your job is to prepare for a mission. You are cause-driven. And that's what churches are often not. But switch gears for a minute. Neither is your family. You can take this whole sermon and switch it and talk about your family. You can talk about your family having no goal, no cause, no purpose. You're just kind of existing, working every day, doing this. Your family as a group doesn't do anything unique to help the world be a better place. What, just think for a second about the purpose of a temple. If you are a temple, what do temples do in the world? What does overcoming by faith do in the world? What right do we have to exist? And I, I want to be real clear. I think that has to be specific. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to Matthew number one in your notes there, God's original plan for church. And let me show you what I mean. Matthew 16, 18. Here's what he says. This is Jesus talking. Again, I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. 
Let me pause for a minute. Jesus asked Peter a question. He asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is so impressed with his words, he says this to Peter. He said, you are Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. What you just said, identifying who I am, I'm going to take that truth, and I'm going to build a church on top of it. In other words, I'm going to pull a group of people together, I'm going to build, and, and that's, the, that's their foundation, what you just said, that I am the Christ, I am the son of the living God. That truth is going to be the foundation that the church is going to be built on. It's not going to be built on, on, on anything other than what I am and who I am. And then he says this, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whenever they saw the term gate, they thought of the place the elders met to devise strategies. And what he's saying is no strategy of hell, no strategy of the enemy will ever prevail. In other words, you're going to win in the end. So it's a pretty strong statement, and they, they were jarred by it. And he goes on to say that, I'm going to agree with you. Kingdom is going to stand by you. Whatever you bound on earth is going to be bound in heaven. So he's saying you guys are going to be strong. You're not going to be wimpy. You're going to be a strong and safe place. Can you say strong, strong. and safe place? That's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a place that's not strong. And then you're going to be a, design, a teaching place. And then he says Ephesians chapter 4, and the number 2 in your notes, there's, there's these people that I'm going to call to help do this. He said... Some will be apostles, some will be prophets, some will be evangelists, and some will be pastors, that's me, and teachers, that's me. And what they will do, here's their job description, they will equip the saints. They're going to be people who gas up people. The word equip means to mend and heal and restore. It's the word used to mend the bone. And so when a person has a broken bone, you get a doctor to mend the bone. Equipping the saints is the mending of their lives. And so he gave apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, not to just be important people with titles. It's more than that. My job description says I equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I help you go do ministry. I help you go serve other people. You come in here, I'm a gasser-upper. That's what I am. I gas you up and you go do work. You help other people. It's not just a place you come in and sing. It's a place you go out and do you equip the saints for the work of the ministry for, this is important, the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. That's what the word edify means. I'm trying to heal you, build you, so you can touch the body of Christ. The body of Christ means every believer who believes in Christ. So it's not just overcoming by faith. It's not just our church. It's never about just us. That is a, it's never just about us. I'm really, I'm really cautious about that. Overcoming by faith this, overcoming by faith that. I get that. I get, I, we're supposed to have good identity, but it's not about the temples or the Smiths or the Johnsons. It's about a larger body of people. And in this text, he says, it's about edifying the body of Christ till we all come into the unity, which means we're all supposed to unify. That's the gathering part of this, okay? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And then we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. He wants us to all be smart and know God for ourselves. And then we all reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's what you say about your kids. Some parents stopped me in the last service and said, my son graduated and he's got a great job and now he's working in, in, in D.C. and he's gotten able to tell me all this stuff on the way in the building. I was so touched. And I thought, man, and the mom said, I'm proud. And I, and I said, you got a reason to be proud because he's reaching his full potential. Boy, it's nothing like seeing your kids do well. 
Nothing like seeing your members or people you know do well. These graduates who stood up here today, nothing like seeing them do well, that moment of saying we did it, we accomplished it. And then to see all of you with the dreams who raised your hand and said, I want to go, I have a dream. That's, that's, the, that's what this is about. He said he called people to be leaders so that you reach your fullness. See, if you think I'm supposed to just gather you in this building and create all these expenses just so that I can have people come listen to me, wrong. Wrong. That's totally wrong. It's about you being fulfilled. You know, I have a little, little rule I tell people. If you want to know if you're dating the right person, here's what you do. Look at your life when you started and look at your life now. Have you improved? Have you gotten closer to God or farther from God? What's happened in your life? What have they contributed to you? Forget how you feel about them. That's going to change anyway over time. That's not the point. Oh, it'll change if enough happens, believe me. And many of you have love stories, that, and you know that's true, because you used to love Bobby and Bubba Louie and, and, and Benny Anna and all them people, and now you can't stand their name. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Time. Everybody say time. time. And time changes, and now it becomes about what you do for me. And what you bring into my life, you bring chaos and strife, eventually I don't necessarily want to be around you. And so I don't, you know, you tell, I love him, I love her, yeah, it all changed. Here's the deal. If God's in your life, he understands that. He made you. You want to grow. You want to be healed, mended. You want your life to be strong. This is not about this gathering in here just to gather it's about mending lives and making people better. And if we do that, people will always come. Because they'll tell people. Like they talked about Jesus. I've never heard a man speak like this man before. I've never been here before. It's an amazing story. It was designed to be, number one, a place of strong and safe. It was designed to be a place that taught you, trained you, and gathered you together in a place with people with like minds bring you to a place of unity with not just these folks, but people around the world. Lastly, it was designed to be a place. Look at this now. This is important. It was designed to be a place that went, a going place. Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's your job. It's not just a gathering here to sing. Jesus didn't have a worship team. Jesus didn't have a band. Jesus didn't have a choir. Jesus didn't have any of that stuff. And I, I'm not, all that's great. I'm glad we have it all. But if you think the purpose of our gathering is just to create a worship experience, no, our job is to bring you in here, gas you up so you go. That's the purpose of it all. There are thousands of people that have been members of this church over the years, and let me tell you, there'll be thousands more in the future. But they will not all stay here, and you should not all stay here. But please come back next week, those of you that can. <laughs> I don't want to have an empty church next week. But I get the long-term purpose. The long-term goal, and let me tell you, once you understand that, it, ch it changes how you feel. That's what God intended for church to be. But the problem is what it became. And there are two examples we've already talked about because you answered for me what church has become in your mind. But let me give you two closing thoughts about what church became in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, church became a merchandising place. It was all about money. People were selling sheep, and, and they had to because in those days, if you committed a sin, you had to take a lamb and offer it to, uh, as a sacrifice for your sins. 
So some of you say, oh, boy, that'd be a bunch of dead lambs. I know. So some people kind of, you know, <laughs> once a week or once a month, every often they come and say, well, let me, let me go down there and get forgiven again. And they drag the lamb. Lambs, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm doomed. They, and so some people didn't have a lamb or a dove, depending on your income level. And so you would go buy them outside the temple. And that's a necessary job. I mean, everybody didn't have lambs and doves. So imagine the vendors outside the temple. Then the vendors start migrating inside the walls of the temple. And before you know it, all you can hear is lambs and birds flapping and it's just and selling and you know, you got birds on sale, and you can hear all this kind of stuff. And it, it changed the definition of the church. The temple was no longer about worship. Listen to what Jesus said, John chapter, chapter um, 2, verse 16. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Big statement. Be careful. This is it right here. Repeat it with him, please. Say, do not make, do not make my, father's house my father's house a house of merchandise. Pastor Rick, then that means we shouldn't sell anything in the church. No, 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 no. The selling wasn't the problem. They were turning the church into a Walmart. They made it something else. This is not against selling. This is about people who've redefined what, they, what, they, what this place is. And that's what happens. You can redefine a place and you won't know where you are or if you belong there. It, it, it removed the whole sense of connection and family and life. Worship was now about selling. That can happen in your family. That can happen in your life. That can happen in a company. It can happen in the school system. It can happen in a community. It can happen in politics. It's all about you. It's not about us. It's all about what you think and you feel. You can make it something else. Marriage was not what you signed up for. Some of you say it is not the guy who got up in here a few weeks ago in our Q&A session we had on Sunday morning. And, I, and, I, and, I, and we talked, it was a great, great q We had, had him all day. And it was powerful. One of the guys says, I think marriage is a misrepresentation. I was hoodwinked. <laughs> he was so great. <laughs> he was saying those words, but oh, it's so great. I put it up online a few weeks ago. You can look it up, Q&A. It was so cool. I thought, oh, man. His, his, he was trying to say, it wasn't supposed to be this way. I didn't sign up for this. Is that how you feel about your life? I even feel sometimes in school, this, this is my view, some professors, my opinion. This is Ricky Temple talk, okay? Got a master's degree. I'm telling you, I've had professors, well, anyway. They can take the fun out of learning. If they're not careful. I don't mind working me, but don't take the fun out of it. There is a discipline part of this. I get it. I don't mind paying my dues, but here's the point. Don't whip me with your strength. Don't make me hate coming here. Don't load me down so much that I can't learn what you're trying to teach me. And then mock me because you've got a PhD and I have, I'm trying to get my BA degree. There's a balance in this whole thing. I got the whole thing here. I got a, I got a cheering section in here saying amen. That's right. And I, I want you to understand, you've got to make it through. You're going to make it through all this, but I want, you to, I want you to see there's something powerful about not redefining something. That's what they did wrong. And Jesus took whips and, and, and turned over the tables.
because this is not what I signed up for. Have you redefined something? So much so that you don't know where you belong. People didn't know if that was a safe place to be in. They didn't feel as if it was a place that was training and teaching them anything. It was only a place that sold them something. It's one of the reasons I, I don't sell you anything other than I don't sell you insurance, I don't sell you phones, I don't sell you. People always come to me trying to get me some, do some marketing thing. I said, I, I don't want my relationship with them to be about that. I'm, I'm here to teach you, train you, gas you up, and send you out. That's my purpose. And the last thing I want to say, I'm done. In Paul's day, it became a divided, contentious, personality-driven place. Man, did they fight. It became a place full of contention and strife. Some of you said, that was how it was then. But Pastor Rick, that's how it is now in my old church. It's, it's, it's personality-driven. It, it, it's contentious. And I, I understand personalities. That's part of life. You know, you know, I get a little attention myself. So I understand the power of a personality. But listen to what Paul said that was sad. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing and that there be no what? Divisions among you. You with me? Number 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul's, in Paul's day. There was divisions among you, but you... He said, I would that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brother, by, the, by those of Choli's household. Notice somebody told on him. I love it. A woman wrote a letter. Paul, you got to see what's going on down here in Corinth. They're redefining church. They're fighting, man, like you wouldn't believe. They're contentious. And what they're doing, Paul, is they're saying, I'm a Paul. I'm a Paulus. I'm a Peter. I'm of Christ. I'm a Pastor Rickite. If you're not careful, you start naming yourself after your favorite preacher person. And then Paul swings this thing and says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? No. That's why I don't want you fighting over people. People say things about me or something happens. They say, ah, he wants your W-2 form. Nah, don't fight. Don't lose your job, bro. Pastor Rick, they said something about you. I didn't like it. I said, I just calm down. Just take a deep breath. I, you, know, you know, I'm going to give you a little, little secret. And, I, and every now and then, everybody gets a little bit of bad press. One lady stopped me. This is so amazing. She stopped me, she stopped me in the store. She was so mad with me. She says, I don't talk to you. I said, how, how are you? What's your name? And she said, I don't like you because you named the church after yourself, Ricky's Temple. I said, man, my name is Ricky Temple. <laughs> But that's what she thought. She was so committed. She was so committed. I've had a few people do that to me. They really think I named the church after myself. And it's not. My name is Ricky Ricardo Temple. What is my name? Ricky Ricardo Temple. It really is Ricardo, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. <laughs> but I want you to understand, there's something, you know, and, and I just embraced it, and I hope she's not watching. But, I, you know, I I think there's a moment when you just understand that, that people have to catch up. You know what I'm saying? You can't spend too much of your time, too much of your emotion trying to work through when people are divided over issues you can't control. There's something about understanding that's not what we gather for. We don't gather to dwell on those issues. That's not what this is about. We've got to stay focused on the main priority in life. 
And those who are successful in business understand that. Those who are successful in life get that. Those who are successful raising children get that. I'm a parent today. I don't need to be doing all those other things. I need to get off some of these committee and parent. I need to focus for this season on that person. This is my priority. Come on, amen. Is that right? And there's, there's something that, that liberates in you. I love the book we're reading about destiny by T.D. Jakes. There's a chapter in there. There's a section called Guiltless Priorities. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Guiltless priorities. There's a moment in your life when you say, look, it's all about this right now, not about that. And I think just for the record, to close this out about church, there's a moment when you gather with people in church. Hebrews chapter 10 says, and I have seen your notes, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. There's a moment when that's my priority. Because this is where I belong. This is what I do. This is an important part of my life. Every Monday is Diane's day. That is an absolute mandate for us. Absolute mandate. I was asked to do something. I'm always asked every week to do something on a Monday, almost all the time. And I say the same thing. It is Diane's day. Now, I say that because I need to, I need to carve out in my life a space for her. Or what happens? There'll be no space. I need to carve out a space for me. Or there'll be no space. I'm concerned about that. I'm looking at my workout routine, and I'm not liking it. It's kind of it's messing with me a little bit. The travel and, you know, all the things I've got to manage. But I'm, I'm, I'm fighting it every week, saying, no, no, come on, come on, come on. Come on, Tim. Come on, Tim. I have to define what's important for me, because this is where I belong. Where do you belong? What church do you belong to? What group of people do you gather with? You're two or three. Where do you belong? Where does your family belong? Take this whole message and apply it across a wide spectrum. If you're building a business, where do you belong? Build the business. Get focused. If you are a student, you belong in school. This is not the season to find the man you dream. Sorry. It's not the time. You can do that later. Stop trying to combine all these priorities. And then when you do it, do what I did when I read that line in, in that book. Oh, man. He said, guiltless priorities. I am no longer apologizing for what goes first. Amen. Come on, amen. I'm no longer apologizing. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the word today, and I thank you for what's been said. I pray that the message today brings life and health to those who hear it. I pray that we leave this place clear. For some, this church is where they belong. For some, this is the place. For some, this is the time. For some, Lord God, it is this place that your spirit has called them to. And so in Jesus' name, I pray your grace upon them. Healing and blessing. I pray for people, Lord God, who've come to this place today and the Holy Spirit is moving on their lives. And they're saying, you know, Pastor, you talked about membership and stuff, but man, I, I see this membership in my family's an issue. We are not together. I see a lot of implications. Some of you business owners, you see this for your life. But I want you, if you're here today, specifically to focus just for a moment just on church for a moment. Where do you belong? Father, with every hand lifted, we pray for your place 
to be. You to touch them today. Heal their hearts, heal their minds, heal their hearts. Let them leave this place. And wherever this message has landed in their hearts, may it bring healing to them. In Jesus' name. So with every hand down for a minute, every head bowed. I also pray, Father, for those who don't know you as Savior. They've never given their lives to Jesus. They belong with you, but they've never given their lives to you. They may have been good people. They may have gone to church. They may have been, like me, an unchurched person. But wherever they are, today is the day they say, I know I need God in my life. If you're here today and you want to start a life with Jesus, you want to get your life going in the right direction spiritually, I want to pray a prayer for you. I am praying prayer right now. Lord, touch them. Let this be a moment of forgiveness for them. And let them know they're loved and forgiven. That's why Jesus died on the cross. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, and you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want this prayer you're praying is a prayer for me. Raise your hand. Say, that's me. That's me. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. You. I see several of you. Father, I pray for those who raise their hand and those who raise their hearts. And I pray this is the beginning of a new life for them. And we give you all praise and all glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Now, there's a Get Connected card that's in your seat pocket. And I, I, I had one. 